This episode of Contracting Conversations is brought to you by the BSCAI Education Hub. Choose between a library of free on-demand education sessions or a collection of courses and certified programs, all designed exclusively for building service contractors. Find valuable educational content for team members at every level in your company. Visit bscaiorg educationhub to learn more. Welcome to Contracting Conversations, a podcast series from the Building Service Contractors Association International. Through a series of interviews with entrepreneurs, business owners, and executives, this podcast aims to provide insights, trends, and tactics to support the growth and development of business owners serving the contract cleaning and facility maintenance industry. Welcome to Contracting Conversations, the official podcast of BSCAI. I'm your host, Lauren Leah Corris. On this episode, I'll be speaking with Andrew Lobmeyer, Senior Vice President and Midwest Cyber Practice Leader with Lockton Companies, about the innumerable benefits of cyber insurance and how BSC business owners can better protect their companies and employees from cyber attacks. Support for Contracting Conversations comes from our premier partners, 3M, Diversity, Karcher, and Team Software. Learn more about our partners and their category-leading solutions for contractors at bscaiorg partners. My name is Andrew Lobmeyer. I joined Lockton about two months ago to lead our cyber practice for the Midwest series. And prior to Lockton, I was with Marsh for four years in their national cyber practice, focusing on large complex cyber placements. And prior to Marsh, I was with Aon for five and a half years, focusing more on middle market, cyber, and E&O for the majority of that time. So happy to be here. Thank you so much, Andrew, for joining us on this episode of the Contracting Conversations podcast, the official podcast of BSCAI. The first question I have for you, Andrew, is what are some fundamental must-knows about cybersecurity and the frequency of cyber attacks? It's a good question. So for a long time, there was a widely held and in retrospect, incorrect view that cyber risk and therefore cybersecurity were topics that only organizations with large volumes of data really had to worry about. So think about the high data organizations such as retail, financial institutions, healthcare companies, your classic organizations that are holding credit card information, patient information, sensitive financial information. And that connotation was due to the fact that there were a lot of large breaches. And at the time, those breaches resulted in some catastrophic losses for those organizations. And cyber risk was considered to be unique to them. And then things began to shift. You know, those large breaches were 2014 through 2016. Uh, in 2017, a very large piece of malware hit a number of large multinational organizations in Europe. And that piece of malware was called NotPetya. And what was unique about NotPetya is it knocked these organizations, many of whom weren't retailers, weren't financial institutions, were not healthcare companies. You know, there were manufacturers and logistics companies. They were quote unquote non-traditional cyber exposures. But what NotPetya did was it knocked them offline, causing some serious income loss and extra expenses. And when this happened, so too did the focus on cybersecurity and best practices and cyber hygiene. So this became an industry agnostic risk because every organization in the world relies on technology to get things done. And just because you don't have data, it doesn't mean you don't have cyber risk. And when this incident occurred, the shift in the mindset towards cyber exposure also shifted. And it became apparent that cyber risk was not solely an IT department's problem. 
It was an issue for IT. It was an issue for HR, risk management, and legal. And there's a connotation that cyber risk is a risk that's only for the IT experts to handle. When in reality, it's a problem for the IT folks, absolutely, but it's also a human risk. And so there's a technical side and there's a human side. And on the technical side, there's a few big areas of focus right now. So the buzzwords are multi-factor authentication and access management, having good backups in place, making sure you're issuing kind of updates to your system called patches. And then on the human side, you know, humans are the weakest link into any network, right? All it takes is one convincing email to click a link to deploy malware or ransomware on your system. And so there's a lot of training that needs to be involved, you know, phishing training, making sure your employees know not to click links from individuals or people that they don't trust or know of. And then building a culture of security awareness, right? This doesn't happen overnight. Taking things seriously from a cybersecurity standpoint so that it's not something that's kind of flippantly put to the side, but it's kind of built into your organizational DNA. And then on the frequency side of things, this is a risk that's 24-7 and is geography agnostic. At all times during the day, the internet and dark web are being scoured by criminals looking for a way to make money. And this has created its own kind of black market industry. There's a connotation that, you know, these hackers are people in their parents' basement with hoodies on, breaking into systems on a one-off basis. But with what we've seen over the last two years in ransomware, these are full-blown enterprises. They have HR departments, they have finance departments, they have customer service departments, believe it or not. And they're operating out of countries where there's no extradition treaty, so they can basically operate without punishment. And the level of sophistication in organization is such that any organization in the United States that relies on technology to do business, which is any company, is now a threat. And Andrew, I know in the last year, we've seen just an astronomical volume of cybersecurity threats and breaches. So that being said, how have those widespread cyber attacks of the last year impacted companies' cybersecurity approach? Another good question. So, you know, ransomware really exploded over the last few months. And, and so that's the summer of 2021 because of the Colonial Pipeline hack and the JBS Foods hacks. And these were notable and these made headlines, understandably, because these are basically core infrastructure, right? Gas pipelines and food supplies. As soon as those begin to be impacted, you're going to have the largest media outlets in the world paying attention. But what is not reported on this is how this has been happening for the last 18 months. So right when the pandemic really began and work remote began to become common, we've seen ransomware devastate companies of every size and industry class. You know, we're, they're not writing articles on CNN about the $200 million service company that got hit and had to pay a $10 million loss and now is in serious threat of going into bankruptcy because of that payment. And those are happening on a daily basis right now. And it's really a giant wake-up call for corporate America. Cyber is no longer, like I mentioned earlier, a problem for IT. And boards of directors and C-suites are now asking a lot of questions. And it's shifted the stance from one of being reactive to one of being proactive because everyone's paying attention now. And it's not, it's not a risk that's just specific to a certain bucket of, of a risk profile. And are there specific reasons as to why some companies may be more vulnerable to cyber attacks than others? So, you know, various industry classes have treated cybersecurity with varying levels of seriousness. So those big three industry classes, retail, financial institutions, and healthcare, they've been worrying about cyber for a decade, almost a decade now because of the breaches from 2014 through 2016. Some quote-unquote non-traditional cyber risks, again, the non-data heavy industry classes, some have been rather lax and slow to, to get up to speed as, with regard to best practices. So, for instance, manufacturing and logistics companies, these are areas where 
investment in cybersecurity is really only now coming under focus. And those, like I said, those last 18 months have really driven home that point. Hackers are looking for low-hanging fruit from a cybersecurity standpoint. They have the capabilities to scan organizations' networks for unpatched endpoints and systems. And what all that basically means is they can look and automatically try and find organizations who are woefully unprepared to handle a hack from them. And so what they'll do is they'll scan these systems and they'll find the low-hanging fruit and they'll go after them and they make perfect targets. And if organizations have some kind of basic cyber hygiene in place, you can raise yourself up from the low-hanging fruit to the medium-hanging fruit. And these hackers are all about efficiencies. So if, if you're somewhat harder to break into, they may move on and, and not think about you. And so um, it's been something that's been evolving a lot as of late, but the three huge areas of focus right now are access management. So things like multi-factor authentication, having strong backups in place, and then end-of-life software and patching. So making sure your systems are not out of date. If you're running Windows 7, for instance, you should probably get upgraded to the newest Windows system because Windows 7 no longer issues updates and security patches. So it's, again, the big theme right now is reactive to proactive, and that's especially prevalent for organizations that are not in those data-heavy industry classes. And that's a great segue into what I want to talk about next. So I want to, I want to really kind of deep dive into how companies can be more proactive in their efforts to prevent cybersecurity attacks. And one of them is, you know, having cyber insurance. So can you speak to the basic benefits of having cyber insurance? Absolutely. So there's really two main reasons. The first is risk transfer. It's at the end of the day, it's an insurance policy, right? And it's it's a financial backing to a loss, right? So if you have a hack or a ransomware incident, the insurance, like any other insurance property, casualty, directors and officers, it will indemnify you for the loss. If you get sued, it will pay the, the claims defense damages. But the, the second main factor and the one that I don't think gets talked about enough is access to vendors. So the cyber insurers have a vested interest in keeping the cost as low as possible for their insureds when they get hacked. And most all, almost all cyber insurance policies come with a, a panel of vendors that you can choose from in the event that you have an incident. So you're not scrambling. And this is a huge benefit to uh, you know, sub $1 billion sized companies who may not have a privacy breach counsel on retainer. They may not have a ransomware negotiator on standby like some Fortune 500 companies might. And so, you know, when you buy the policy, you get the financial indemnification, but you also get access to this, what I like to call your digital fire department. So your breach coach counsel, your IT forensics, the newest vendor to pop up is ransomware negotiators. There's now a, a separate industry class of third parties who specialize in negotiating ransom payments and making sure that when an organization is extorted, they're not running afoul of U.S. sanctions laws, which can come into play when an extortion event happens and the, the litany of legal framework you have to kind of dance through in order to comply with those laws. And so having access to those vendors at the drop of a hat is really invaluable, especially with the speed at which these, these ransomware incidents are happening. And so um, many cyber policies even have a hotline. It's your, it's your 911 line for a cyber hack. And if you get an incident, you can call that and the carrier will then triage you into accessing these vendors and, and hitting the ground running. So you're not scrambling Googling, trying to find who's a good ransomware negotiating firm or who's a good breach counsel, the policy will help provide those to you. And how does Lockton specifically approach cybersecurity implementation? So as an insurance broker, it's our job to keep our clients up to date on the cyber insurance market and advise them on strategies to ensure 
the most favorable result at their insurance renewal. But, but we do this in a three-step process. This is not simply get us an application, go to the market, get quotes. It's a year-round process because cyber is a year-round risk. So it's, it's three steps, inform, improve, and insure. On the inform side of things, we have some proprietary analytics that we can run for our clients to help estimate what the actual potential cyber exposure is. Many cyber analytics firms, it's essentially a data breach calculator. And cyber is far more than just a data breach now. The exposure is, is operational in nature, right? It can operate like a business interruption event. And so we, we run those analytics to help educate about what the right limit amount is, because unlike many other lines of insurance, we don't have decades and decades of actuarial data. Cyber insurance has been around for 20 years, and there's been meaningful claims for seven of those. So we don't have this very long, long look back window to derive you know, what an estimated loss can look like. So we run those analytics to inform our clients. Next, we look to improve. So we have access to a, a full suite of outside vendors, which can help consult our clients from anything from ransomware preparation to penetration testing to phishing testing. Those are the things you do off-cycle. You do the off-cycle of your insurance program to make sure that when you go to your insurance market on your renewal, that you are presenting the best risk possible. And then finally, that gets to the insurer side of things. So prior to your renewal, we love to educate our clients about what the market's doing, obviously, but it's of particular importance now because the insurance market has gotten to a place where it's what we call a hard market, meaning the carriers are charging a lot, substantial increases on pricing, and they're also asking for substantial amounts of information to underwrite the risks. And so on the insurer side of things, we are doing a lot of time educating our clients about what they need to show carriers in order to even procure insurance. So a year ago, you could submit an application and get a quote. You know, the application could have five questions. You'd get your quote and it'd be no problem. Now we're needing to complete very robust applications, evidence particular things like multi-factor authentication for remote access, because if we don't know, our clients are, will struggle to even procure insurance. And so we are guiding our clients and educating them in this process. So they're not surprised if they come to the month before renewal and all of a sudden find out that they're uninsurable because they don't have MFA for remote access. And so it's a year-round process, and it's something that's continuing to evolve as the insurance market evolves, but it's all about education and communication. And I want to speak specifically to the cleaning services industry. So what are some of the most common cybersecurity threats relative to BSC business owners? It's a good question. So there's really three big threats right now. The first, unsurprisingly, the largest and most prevalent is ransomware. Regardless of what you do, you're going to rely on systems and technology to get things done. What may vary is the amount of time until an outage hurts, but it will hurt eventually. And a recent trend we've been seeing is for extortionists to steal victims' data and threaten to dump that in the event that a ransomware isn't paid. So with the evolution of smart buildings, there's always a possibility that a BSC business owner may have access to some systems on your customers' buildings. And if you do have access to potential data, this is now kind of a double whammy with extortion, both shutting you down and then threatening to cause a breach of your customer's information. The second is connectivity with customers' networks. So when we think about the Target hack back in 2014, that was not a hack of Target's network. That was the hack of a vendor. That was the hack of their HVAC vendor. And so like I mentioned with smart building technology, if one of the BSC business owners happens to service a customer who has smart building technology and you may have access to that system, that can be a very quick way into your customer's network, right? Because again, the Target hack was not a Target issue. It was an HVAC vendor who led them into the system. And so a hacker jumping from the weakest link, whether it be a, a vendor like a BSC cleaning organization 
or any sort of other vendor of your customer, you may be the weak point in. And so it's something to consider when you're training your employees. The final one is business email compromise and social engineering. This is not as much of a cybersecurity issue as it is a human manipulation issue. So for instance, one of your employees receives an email claiming to be from the CFO requiring a quick wire transfer for an acquisition that's going in over the weekend or for a project that needs to be completed over the weekend. And the finance department wires those funds only to find out that that wasn't your CFO. That was a third party who happened to spoof the CFO's email. This is something we're beginning to see a lot of. Ransomware is getting all the headlines, but wire transfer fraud and duping is a serious issue. And the biggest recommendation there is if an employee or someone in the finance department receives an email that looks suspicious, particularly around changing wiring information, we can't recommend enough picking up the phone and calling that individual. Call the, the person claiming to be the CFO. Call the subcontractor who's claiming to have changed their wiring instructions. Because once that money goes out the door, that bank account is shut down and the money is gone. And so again, not truly a cybersecurity issue, but more of a human manipulation and training issue. Any changes in wiring funds need to raise red flags internally and training your folks accordingly is, is something to think about. How can BSC business owners protect their employees from cyber attacks outside of insurance? So there's five main things tackling the basics of cyber hygiene. The first is having access management under control. Access management is simply preventing individuals who shouldn't access critical systems from accessing them. And so the, the biggest item here is multi-factor authentication or MFA. And all multi-factor authentication is, it's, it's basically just a bolster of a password. So typically when we log into a system, we use our password and we're in. Multi-factor will require you to answer, uh, respond to a, a text, or provide a code that's provided by a text or email to add basically what they call two factors to confirm who you are. The second would be have a strong backup strategy in place. So when a ransomware incident hits, the first thing everyone recommends doing is restoring from backup. When those backups are also compromised due to the ransomware, that's where we begin to run into issues regarding leverage, right? Because if your backups are encrypted, hackers are going to have a lot of leverage to demand whatever payment amount they want. So storing backups offline is a strongly recommended approach. The next would be phasing out end-of-life software, right? So as soon as a, an organization stops issuing updates to software, it becomes a vulnerability, a big vulnerability. And so, for instance, if you're running Windows 7 on some of your computers, Windows phased out support for Windows 7 a few years ago, meaning it's extremely exposed. No one's watching it anymore. So phase out end-of-life software. The next would be patch. So every Tuesday, for instance, Microsoft rolls out their patches for their, their system. So it's, they call it Patch Tuesday. And all a patch is, is it's a quick fix to uh, systems or critical software that have been identified over the last week. And so the suppliers and the creators of various software and technology issue patches on a frequent basis. And so having that cadence on also a frequent basis will prevent a lot of headache. And then finally, educate and train. So like I said earlier, the weakest link in any organization is their people. So training and educating people about what to look for regarding potential wire transfer frauds, regarding potential phishing emails is really important because all it takes is one click. All it takes is opening one thing that looks like an invoice in a PDF or clicking one link that looks like a survey provided by your CFO to unleash malware into your system and lead to some catastrophic results. And so building a culture of cyber awareness and just making sure your people know what to look for, because it's not as obvious as it was 10 years ago, right? There's no more emails from a prince in a foreign country saying, I need you to lend me money and I'll pay you back tenfold. 
it's a lot more sophisticated now. And all we can do is educate and communicate. So it's, it's incumbent upon organizations to make sure their people know what to look for and how to prevent things. Excellent. And Andrew, thank you so much for being part of this episode of Contracting Conversations. We greatly look forward to sharing this episode with our BSC membership. Great. Thanks, Lauren. Thank you for listening to this episode of Contracting Conversations from BSCAI. If you liked what you heard and want to find out more or listen to previous episodes, head over to bscaiorg podcast. There, you can also subscribe to our newsletter so you never miss industry news, updates, and great tips. Subscribe to Contracting Conversations on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And learn more about our community on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube.